And then the fir- I think the first night that he was here, I tur- he turned around and d- just about quoted and preached two or three weeks worth of my messages and, and scriptures that I had brought to you. And so I went back to visit the joy of the Lord again, and I've set it up as a Wednesday night lesson. And then I found out as we were going through it that it was pretty good. That it was like, wow, that, hey, whoa, that's. And so as I've been praying since Wednesday night, Lord, what, what do you want to do for Sunday? What direction do we want to go? We, last Sunday we talked about birthing and we talked about bringing the things to pass in our lives that the Lord has put inside of us and, and what we are carrying around as incubators. And so the Lord said, well, what about the joy of the Lord? He said there were some things in there, and most of everybody is not in here on Wednesday nights because a lot of the staff is teaching youth and children and all of that, and then uh, some people aren't here on Wednesday nights. So there was just a small crowd that was able to get that Wednesday night, and the Lord said, I think you ought to do that again. And I said, Lord, if you think I ought to do it again, I'm going to think you're right. There have been times when I have argued with the Lord. Now, I know none of you are like this. Uh, there's been times I've argued with the Lord about things, and he's usually right, most all the time. I was in preaching on the East Coast years ago, thousands of years ago, and I, I, I sat in the pastor's office as long as I could. I could not come up with anything to preach. Now, I had already been preaching 10 or 12 years, and I still couldn't come up with anything to preach. And you, a preacher always has something to say whether it's good, bad, or ugly. He's always got something to say, and I didn't have anything. So I walked out, and I grabbed some notes, and I thought, this sounds good. This is what I'm going to preach. So I started preaching it, and the Lord said, um, I want to pray for people that need jobs. And I just kept on preaching in my notes. I just kept on. I didn't tell anybody the Lord was talking to me. Now I'm just because I needed to preach those notes. And so the Lord interrupted my sermon again. In my spirit, my head, and he said, I said that you need to stop your preaching and pray for people that need jobs. And you know what I did? I just kept preaching. And the third time, he said, you need to pray for people that need jobs, and you can preach your sermon all you want. And if you do, nothing is going to happen. It was at that moment that I decided to shut my notes up. And I said, look, if you need a job, the Lord wants me to pray for you to get a job. And three people stood up. And of these three people, long story short, I prayed for a guy who had tried to get in the hotel industry in management for like several years and never could do it. And he was, he was broke and he was unemployed. He had, he had like four or five kids at the time. I think they got like seven kids now. I mean, when they, the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply, Phil and Karen Murray took the Lord at his word and they did it. And so we prayed for him. And the next day, he got a phone call from an interview that he had forgotten all about from months ago. And they hired him on the spot, starting at six figures. 
Then I heard that. I'm like, wait, no wonder the Lord wanted me to pray. The Lord was wanting to do something in some lives. Another guy who had been trying to get on at the correctional system, it was in the state of Maryland, he couldn't get on for six months. There was a freeze. Suddenly, he gets a phone call that Monday morning. We, the, the freeze for you is gone. You need to show up at work tomorrow morning. We're going to get you orientated. All three of the people that I prayed for got jobs on that Monday. So when the Lord tells me to do something now, I'm very, very um, cognizant to try to listen to what he says. So he said, I want you to talk about the joy of the Lord to everybody. We're going to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse number 10. This is a very popular passage in the Word of God. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I just left this in Wednesday night format because I don't want to miss anything here. I want you to try to get all that you can. The question is this, why is joy so important to the children of God? Why is it so important that we be happy? Why is joy so important? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy produces strength. It is the devil's plot and plan to make you as unhappy and miserable as possible. It's the devil's job to make you sad. He wants you to be a sad, unhappy Christian. He wants you to be a depressed Christian. He wants you to be an oppressed Christian. He wants you to be a possessed Christian. Possessed with sadness. Possessed with despair. Carrying around so much of your weight on you that you can't even lift your hands and praise the Lord. The problem with a lot of people when they come to church is they, they feel dirty. Why do I feel dirty when I come to church? Because you're coming into the light, and light is going to expose darkness. And if you've got dirt in your life, you're not going to feel like praising the Lord. If you've got nasty stuff in your life, you're going to feel like chains are on your hands and you cannot freely worship Him. It's the same way inside of us. When the joy of the Lord is our strength, the devil is going to do anything he can to take that strength away from us. And we need strength. All of us, each and every one of us, need strength in our lives to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I need joy in my life. So the strength that you need to fight is found in the joy. We are called in 1 Timothy 6.12 to fight the good fight of faith. You have not joined a church. You have joined a battle. You're not just part of Family Worship Center. You're not just part of us and, and, well, I'm a member there. I know I shook the pastor's hand. Somebody said, what does it take to be a member here? Listen, you just repent, get baptized for the remission of your sins, get the Holy Ghost. You're part of the kingdom. Amen. This is the, that's, you're part of the kingdom, and you're part of the family around here. Few, about two years ago, Sister Trina told me about a billboard she saw. It says the first time you visit, you're a guest. The second time you visit your family. That's what we like around here. We want you to feel like your family around here. We want you to feel like when you drop your hair tie that we'll pick it up for you. Amen. We feel like we want you to feel so close that we could share a Dr. Pepper together and drink out the same straw. I don't think not everybody's into that level of family ship yet, I guess. Okay. So we'll we'll skip that part. So I look at many people today in the body of Christ and I see that a lot of people are tired of fighting. 
I go to Walmart and I, in any kind of store, I see tired people. I see people that are weary. I see people that are just existing. Does anybody else see that out there in the world? You just see people that are just trying to get by and trying to survive. But I also see that in the kingdom of God. And we're struggling today because we have lost our joy. We're struggling today because our, our problems are bigger than our solutions. We're, we're struggling today because we don't have strength to fight this fight because I have, I have focused more of my attention on my problem than I have the problem solver. I have focused myself more on the storm than I have my attention on the peace speaker. The boys were in the boat, and he was in the boat as well, and he was fast asleep, and the winds and the waves kicked up, and they were thought they were going to drown. Now, this is not a rookie. This is not a bunch of rookies who are out there on the Sea of Galilee. And they're, they're not, this is not their first time in a boat. Listen, I fished many years ago. I had a, a flat bottom John boat, they called them. I, you know, I knew how to do that. Canoes, I had never been in a canoe. You ever been in a canoe? How'd that go for you? Wonderful. Okay, I'm going to tell you my experience. Let me tell you about Brother Suber. While he was here, I showed him the canoe back there. The Joker went back there one morning and was going to go in the canoe and go out on the pond. And before he could get off the bank, he flipped it over twice. And he had his brand new shoes on, and he went six inches into the mud. I said, well, how was that? And the second time that he was on the phone with his secretary when he was trying to get in. So he said, I'm standing there in the water, and I'm holding my phone up, so my phone doesn't. So that was Brother Suber, just in case. So the next time he comes, I'm not even going to. I'm going to have to give him a flat-bottom boat for out there. But I went to get in a canoe. We went on a senior class trip in college, and my one of my best friends, he was in my wedding. He was a roommate of mine. He said, I'll take Zimmy. Now, I'm I'm pretty good size. Brother Dennis can attest to this, Brother Dennis Havenstreit. You know, once my body mass gets rolling a certain way, he's seen me fall off of four-wheelers, laying on the, laying on the forest bed with my legs in the air. That was quite a picture, too. That's when Bobby Lewis was here, wasn't it? Fell right off that four-wheeler. Went to get on it. Went clear over on the other side. Praise the Lord. Here I am. So I, that's the truth. And here, this is the truth, too. Went to get in the canoe. My friend George is in the canoe. He's from Baton Rouge. We are in New Bronzefield, Texas. And we are on the Guadalupe River. It is 52 degrees. That's how cold the water is. It's all spring-fed. And it's about 6 o'clock in the morning, and we're getting ready to launch out into the deep. And I went to get in. I have never been in a canoe in all my life. And we're in about a foot of water. And I got in, and I tipped the whole canoe over. George comes up spitting water. Well, he said, I guess we don't have to worry about worrying about getting wet. We're already wet. So here we go, because George just laid back. But these guys weren't like that in the canoe. These guys knew what they were doing, but they were in a storm, and they were throwing all kinds of stuff overboard. They were trying to get everything just right. And here Jesus is in the midst of the ship, and he is asleep. They were focused more on the storm than they were on the solution for the storm because he was right there. When he got in the boat, he said, let's go to the other side. 
When he said, let's go to the other side, what he was implying was, we're going to make it to the other side. Now, I don't know if they thought that Jesus was going to drown in the storm as well or not, but I'm thinking that there's some of us in here that we kind of get the idea that the, the Lord is in our ship, and if we go down, he's going down too. How in the world is he going down if he's in your ship? Your ship is not going to go down. You are not going to be destroyed. You are not going to be taken out by the devil. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and when you got the Lord in your boat, everything is going to be all right. Hallelujah. If you you're in your boat right now and you're in your storm you need to tell the devil i might be in a storm but let me tell you something jesus is in my boat and as long as jesus is in my boat i'm gonna be all right oh i may tip over i may get wet i may have to grab onto a piece of a board and swim to shore but i am not going under i'm not going out of here because jesus is on my side can somebody give the lord some praise It doesn't matter how bad it looks, but we all struggle in the fight because we've lost our joy. And if we don't have joy, we don't have strength. People are, you know, maybe they're tired of fighting for the marriage. Maybe they're fed up with their spouse. Yeah, he don't love me anymore, so what's, why fight for his love? They've already thrown in the towel. Maybe they're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Whatever situation you're in today, whatever problem you're in today whatever you are facing today whatever storm it is whether it's relational whether it's financial whether it's a health storm whatever it is today you know we just get weary in the fight and we just get tired and we just want to throw in the towel any of you got any kids that just keep asking the same question over and over again until they say until you finally say yes now shut up and leave me alone Hallelujah. I don't think you put hallelujah in there. They think that the more they ask, that they're going to get what they want. And I say, so as I said before, so say I again. No. Don't ask again. You ask me again, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to take your tonsils out. Amen. With with the grill tongs hallelujah stop asking not mentioning any names amen but you just get sick and tired of the battle you just get sick and tired of it's over over and over and you just you're just sitting there and you're wondering is this ever going to end is it ever going to happen you know i've prayed for years and i've asked god to do this and god doesn't do it therefore i'm mad at god and he's let me down All right, let me ask you a question. Somebody said, well, I'm mad at God, and he didn't do this for me. I prayed for it, and and so he don't care about me. When you were a kid or a teenager and your parents prayed that the Lord do something in your life and it didn't happen because you made the wrong decisions, was it their fault? It was the decisions of the kids. You see what I'm saying? But the devil wants us to blame God because the devil knows if we blame God, if me and Amy have a fight, which we haven't had one probably in, what, three and a half hours. I sent up a missile and she shot her down. If we have a fight, you know, that's our problem. 
My, my, uh, and what that does is that brings discord among us. And we're not walking in unity and we're not walking in harmony. So the devil wants you to get mad at God and then you won't walk in agreement with him. And if you don't walk in agreement with him, then he can't put his blessings on you. But the devil says, oh, it's God's fault. No, it's not God's fault. Just like if, if, a parent, if a parent has teenage kids and they pray, Lord, please don't let them, God, go out and get in trouble. Please don't let them get in trouble with the law. Please don't let them do this or do that. And the kid ends up calling you from jail. Was it because God was too weak to deliver or was it because that Johnny decided to drink a 24-pack of bush lights before he got under the wheel and then he met the officer, Brother Caleb, back there? And Brother Caleb says, wow, you have quite an air freshener in your car tonight. I picked up a kid one time, and he got in my car, and he smelled like hemp. And I said, wow, we're going to call him Dave. I said, wow, Dave, that's quite a bit of cologne that you have on. And he looked at me and I said, how long did it take for you to burn that cologne up before he got in the car? Oh, pastor, you know, I'm sorry. Well, I said, I just hope we don't get pulled over. Because they're going to look at me and I'm going to say, it ain't me, it's him. I'm going to put you under the bus. It's him. But I can pray that Dave never smokes marijuana. But if Dave smokes marijuana, it's not because God failed to answer prayer. That's Dave's choice. It goes clear back to the garden. It goes clear back to Adam and Eve. Listen, when they had the heavenly father, the spirit of God in the garden, and he said, don't you do this, what did they do? They went and done that. We can have all these doors in this church unlocked, and the one door that's locked, everybody's going to line up to see what they can do to get in there to see what's behind that locked door. And then they found out it was a broom and a dustpan, and nobody wants any part of that. But the devil wants us to get sick and tired. He wants us to blame God. He wants us to do all of this stuff. You know, people have been sick for so long that they don't remember what it's like to be healthy. You know, they battle this sickness, and finally it looks like the sickness is winning. So they throw in the towel, and they say, what's the use? I might as well accept it and learn how to live with this sickness because I'm never going to get well. Possibly we've waged war at one time or another against our finances and, and against our debts, but things haven't changed that month here much. Let me say this. You tithe, and you tithe, and you tithe. Oh, some of you already know where I'm going. And you give, and you give, and you give. And still, it seems like you can't ever get ahead. And the devil says, I don't know why you're wasting your money. Why are you giving it to God? You've tied all, tithed all this time, and you're still broke. You've given all this time to the church. And ain't nobody around to help you. You see what the devil's doing? He's stealing your victory. He's stealing your strength because he's taking your joy. 
he's taken our joy from us and it's a it's a stealth operation where he comes in from behind and he just starts to plant all of these thoughts and he says you know you thought you were going to get out from under all these bills but you're not going to do it anymore maybe you've had trouble with your kids and you wonder if they're ever going to straighten up and you're exhausted from their rebellion and from them not listening to you and you wonder god are you ever going to change them listen everybody has troubles We've all got problems. We've all got troubles. Amen. Now, I can relate. I want you to just get in my shoes for a minute here. I face trials every day, too. I I don't even want to know what some of you think my life is like. Oh, pastor sleeps in. And he gets up and he eats fried chicken for breakfast. Now, there, there is nothing wrong with fried chicken for breakfast at all. Fresh chicken old chicken, any kind of chicken. And then he drives around town all day long. And he does all of this business stuff. Okay, so, but really I'm trying to be a good pastor. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to give you good counsel. I'm trying to visit the sick, trying to help people in need. Got a lot of things in the, in the, in the, in the, in the oven there and in the fire, a lot of irons in the fire. But yet there's always somebody that's not happy. One person will call me up and say, I'm never coming back because you did such and such and I ain't never coming back. And by afternoon, somebody's calling saying, this is the greatest place I've ever been. Thank you for being here. And I'm trying to weigh it all out. And it's in those times you wonder, what in the world's going on? Well, guess what? Sometimes the sun shines and sometimes hurricanes blow through. Sometimes the, the barometer is good and sometimes it's freezing outside. You're always going to have that. You know, somebody said, I'm not coming back to church here because I don't get fed spiritually. I shared this Wednesday night. I've had people tell me that, and I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could do better. But, Lord, what am I going to do? And then I heard a preacher say, this, pe- this preacher pastors a very large church. He pastors a very influential church. And he said, don't worry. He said, I've had people come to me and say, we're going we're to have to go somewhere else because we're not getting fed spiritually here. And he says, well, just uh, amen. Just, we're glad you were here as long as you could. That guy's name is T.D. Jakes. Pastors 28,000 people. And there's still some people that say, we, we got to go somewhere else and get fed. Wow. That made me feel better. If he's not feeding you, I know I can't put it out there either. We're going to have to get a different brand of mashed potatoes and gravy. The pastor didn't visit me in the hospital. He wasn't able to counsel me or available to counsel me when I needed him. I'm not going to church there because Brother X right here is a hypocrite. Well, I guarantee you wherever you go to church, you're going to find Brother Z, X, Y, and Z hypocrites because they're all around. They're all here. They're at your job. They're at Walmart. They're in traffic. They're everywhere. You know, I don't go to church because the Cardinals are playing an early game today, Pastor, and I had to get down there and get my French fries and my designated driver's certificate for my 20-ounce free soda. The church is not open for me to use all my gifts. The people at the church are not friendly. Nobody cares for me at church. I had somebody say, oh, so-and-so doesn't come here because she didn't feel welcome. And at the same time, somebody else in the same family said, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. 
We've all got these things. We all have these battles that we face and are fighting. We've all got this. And after all of these trials, you know, there are times that I want to give up. There are times when I say, man, I've probably been better off just staying on the farm and taking care of the cows because cows love you. Especially those big old Holsteins. They love you at 5 o'clock in the evening when they want to come in there and get milked. Please give me some relief. Please. But you know what? That's my flesh talking. That's, God don't want me on the farm. He let me already go through the farm. He let me already go through that Red Sea. Here's where God wants me. But you see, the devil wants to take me out. The devil wants me to stop. Because then when I hear a report from somebody who says, man, there's some things happening in my life and God's putting some pieces of the puzzle of my life together and it's all good, that makes me feel good. That makes me feel like it's, it's happening. It's really it's good when somebody comes up to you and says, I don't know what you're doing with my kid, but I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your burden. I appreciate you being there. Thank you for being there. You know, because you could be still down in St. Louis running around town, you know, collecting alley apples and all that other stuff. Praise God. But, you know, we look at it and we say, well, yeah. My heart says people all have troubles. They're all frustrated in themselves. They don't mean to hurt me. They don't, you know, I'm just going to rejoice. So what I got to do, I got to look at the situation and say, I'm just going to be happy about this. I'm just going to delight myself in the Lord. I'm just going to be there to enjoy Jesus. I think that is one of our problems is we don't really enjoy Jesus enough. Let me say that again. I thought that would be, I thought three people would run around the building on that one. Maybe I'll do it with the left hand. We don't enjoy Jesus enough because we talk about our problems more than we do him solving the problems. We talk about our discouragements more than we talk about the good things he's done for us. But I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad that I have the strength in my body and the mental capacities to be where I'm at right here today. I'm glad that I had money to put gas in my tank and drive here. I'm glad that God gave me a vehicle to replace my old blue van. And now what am I doing? I'm driving the old blue van. Mama gets the nice one. Amen. So I still go through the bank drive through smoking everybody else out. But I'm happy because that blue van gets twice as many miles to the gallon than that blue truck does. So it's a, it's a blessing of the Lord. And I think the devil tries to steal all of the blessings that God is trying to get us to see and say, you know, you don't have this and you don't live in this neighborhood and this hasn't happened with your kids. What has God really done for you? Let me tell you something. If, 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 if it's not for the goodness of Jesus, I'm so, so thankful for the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me. Hallelujah. I'm glad that I got up this morning. I'm glad I'm in my right mind. I'm glad I could feed myself breakfast. I'm glad I could give myself a shower. I'm glad I could dress myself. Come on now, somebody. I'm glad I'm not in a nursing home in a wheelchair somewhere. I'm glad I'm not dead and already gone out of this place because I still have some influence. Oh, when I think about the goodness of Jesus, that's what the devil's trying to take from us. He's trying to take our appreciation of what God is to us and what he has done for us. 
Some of us shouldn't even be here today. We shouldn't be here spiritually. We shouldn't be here naturally. But God spared our lives. Some of us, we've had churches kick us out. That's like going to the hospital and them saying, nope, you can't come in here. Bleed on the street. If you can't get help at church, where are you going to get help at? I tell you what the world will say, you can join our gang because the street will take you. The world will say, you just join our bar and come here every night. Burn your whole check Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Monday, look forward to coming back here again on Friday full of money and full of depression. We'll take you as you are. But I've got to rejoice. I've got to be thankful. I've got to be happy in what God has done for me. Because if I do that, I'm going to get my strength back. If I do that, I'm going to get some joy rolling. And when I get joy rolling, I'm going to rejoice always. When I get joy rolling, I'm going to have power. I'm going to have strength to fight the fight. That's why I haven't been able to pick up a weapon and fight. It's because I haven't had any joy. And when I don't have any joy, I don't have any strength. And when I don't have any strength, I can't get engaged in the battle. Hallelujah. And when I can't engage in the battle, then I'm just a spectator up there with the other 80,000 at the Rose Bowl. And when I'm up there with the other 80,000, thousand I question and I wonder why they did this and why they did that but brother when I pick up my joy when I pick up my joy my strength comes back and I can get on the field and I say coach I can run this play if you just give it to me so I'm going to have to get happy now we engage in spiritual warfare around here we've been fasting for almost a year year next month September we're, we're incorporating prayer with it now. We're in spiritual warfare. But one of the main keys to spiritual warfare success is this. We've got to enjoy Jesus and lift him up. Because if we lift him up, he can knock any devil out of any principality. He said in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He walked into the synagogue. Now imagine if you just walked into church. Okay, Miss Addie, you just walked into church. Okay, we're going to let you be Jesus. How do you feel about that? Pretty good. Yeah. She walks into church. Just want to see the brothers and sisters. And out of the corner, somebody comes running and does flips and contortions right in front of her and starts screaming. Demon-possessed shrieking what are you doing here jesus Man, he said, i just come to church that'd be kind of weird wouldn't it have you come to torment us before our time and he says shut up in the king james it says hold your peace 2014 shut up don't tell anybody shh don't be snitching me out. Don't be a snitch. Snitches get stitches. And wind up in ditches. And Jesus says, Just come on out of him. He didn't have to wrestle him. He didn't have to call a men's prayer group or the women, the intercessors, and say, oh, pray, we got a devil here in Capernaum at the church. Jesus didn't get on his text like pastor does. And text everybody, please, 
Please pray right now. We got a devil in Capernaum. No. Come on out. So when we walk into church, that power in our lives is going to be equivalent to the joy in our lives. So if you've got to get joy in your life to get strength, you're going to have to get some joy in your life. If you want to be strong, you're going to have to get happy in Jesus. If you want to be successful in the Lord, you're going to have to let the joy of the Lord be your strength and rejoice always. You're not going to just rejoice once or twice. The Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So how often do I need to rejoice? The answer is this, always. Look at your neighbor, peck him three times and say, always, always. Always. Now, just when I got a good deal at the mall on this dress. No, always. Oh, just when I didn't have to fight with anybody at the road rage intersection. No, always. Oh, when everything's going wrong. No, always. I praise Him and I rejoice in Him in the morning. I rejoice in Him at noon. I rejoice in Him at night. I'm going to rejoice if I'm broke or I'm going to rejoice if I got $45,000 on my money clip. I'm going to rejoice when I'm happy and I'm going to rejoice when I'm sad. Family Worship Center, it's time to get happy around here. Phil Robertson has it right. It's time to get happy, happy, happy. It's time to quit worrying about where you are and what you feel like and start rejoicing in the Lord always. Why are we going to rejoice always? Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's the easiest to lose. Because if you have long-suffering, it takes a long time to lose long-suffering. Right? If you're patient with people, it takes a long time to lose patience. Right? Does that make sense? You've been in school a week. Has it helped you? It helps you be patient? Okay. Is Kirsten being nice to you? Kind of? Okay. I'll talk to her afterward. You're welcome. She says, she says, thank you. So there you go, Kirsten. You set up a time. Joy is the easiest of the spiritual fruit to lose. Because I can be happy and get one phone call or one text and it take my joy away. Right? You with me? You can't live off the joy you had yesterday. That just gave you strength for yesterday. You got to have strength today. You got to have strength right now. And if you don't have any joy because you've lost your joy, you're not going to have any strength. And if you don't have any strength, you can't fight the devil. And if you can't fight the devil, you're in trouble. And if you're in trouble, you're going to need somebody to help you out. And if nobody's there to help you out, you're going to have to lay hands on yourself and pray yourself through. There's going to be times when you're going to try to call me and I'm going to be underground under Louisville ziplining. And I'm not taking my cell phone with me. 
And when you're in trouble and you can't get a hold of anybody, that's when you lay hands on yourself and you start having a Holy Ghost showdown right there and you start praying for yourself in the name of Jesus and you saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Oh, Lord, you put your spirit inside of me. Oh, Lord, you activate your spirit inside of me. Oh, Lord, you help me get through this. Is that all right? If you had joy last week, that joy will not give you strength today. Joy can only give you strength today if you have it today. Guess what? If you don't have it today, you ain't got joy and you ain't got strength today. Does that make sense? So that's why we must always rejoice even when you say, I don't feel like rejoicing. I come to Family Worship Center every Sunday and Pastor has it a meat locker in there. It is a meat locker. I feel like I am a slab of beef. No, I don't want you to, I don't want anybody feeling like a cow. I feel like a slab of lamb. Old little church lamb. Pastor has it so cold. And, and you know what? He wears a T-shirt, a long sleeve shirt, and a jacket. Amen. And I'm back there. For, how, how can anybody get a hold of Jesus when they got the bejesus freezing out of them? And Kevin Schultz, I saw that Jensen Franklin post that you posted from John Hagee's church about Boaz. Remember that one? Oh, my Lord. Has anybody seen that one? Oh, Lord, you need to see that one off of YouTube about Ruth and Boaz, Jensen Franklin. How am I going to feel Jesus when it's 55 degrees in that sanctuary? And he won't take his jacket off, Rob. He's got sweat coming down his back, and he will never take his jacket off. It makes me so mad, I can't get the joy of the Lord because the pastor's freezing me out while he won't put, take off his jacket. So I don't feel like rejoicing today, pastor, because I am freezing. I don't feel like rejoicing today, Pastor, because somebody took my parking spot. I don't feel like rejoicing today, Pastor, because somebody sat in my spot in my pew. That is my pew. That is my spot, and that's where I started, and that's where I want to finish. I can't do this, Pastor, because I looked across the way over there, and so-and-so had a shirt they bought. It was just like mine, and now I'm not wearing mine ever again because somebody else has my shirt. You know, don't you think that people have more, and they make more than one shirt? shirt I mean really yours was not the only one that they made and before you bought it it wasn't yours and I'm not rejoicing today because so and so looked at me across the way again and grinned and I know they're talking about me 
And I'm not rejoicing today because nobody talked to me when I came in. I had like what one woman, she said, only two people shook my hand. Now, I didn't say it because I didn't want to put her completely under. But in my nasty mind, I said, you better be thankful that those two did. Because it could have been zero. Thank God you had two people happy to see you. I'm not rejoicing today because Pete came to church. And I can say that because Pete can handle it. I'm not rejo- You see what I'm s- saying? You see how silly we get? We're not rejoicing. We're not doing this. We're not going to. Guess what? If you don't rejoice and have some joy, you're not going to have any strength anyway. The devil's done got you. Sorry about that English usage. And I can use it better. But the devil done has you, my friend. The devil has already won in your life. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and you've got to have it every day. God did not say rejoice only if you feel like it, He said to rejoice always. And I'm getting ready to close. Look at your neighbor and say, I cannot believe this. Obviously, God knows that you don't feel like rejoicing always. Do you not think that God knows you have bad days? He knows everything. But we forget that. We don't even think God knows anything about us sometimes. Me included. I want to send him a text, but I don't have his number. And then there's those times, Brother Jeff, when I do say something to him, Brother Randall. And he, there's times that he never answers for a long time. But what's scary is, is when it, before it hardly leaves, he's already answering. And it's like, ooh, he didn't like that one. He knows that you don't always feel like rejoicing. He knows we have challenges. He knows that we, are, we face devils down here. He knows the devil throws fiery darts at us. He knows the devil tries to distract us. He knows the devil tries to keep us from ever going back to church again. And I can't believe this, but he knows the devil gets some of you to try not like me. That's very profound, Brother Rob. But we have to rejoice always because if we don't rejoice, then we lose strength for the fight. And if we don't have strength for the fight, we cannot fight. And the devil already has us. James says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy is not happiness. Not happy. Happiness comes from the word happen. Happiness, therefore, is based on what is happening. If something good is happening, then I'm happy. If something bad is happy, then I'm not happy. Joy is not happy. Joy is not happiness. God says pure joy occurs even in the midst of trials. Brother, when the car breaks down, I'm still going to have to have joy. When the kids get sick, I still got to find my joy. When the boss cuts my hours, I still got to have my joy. Hallelujah. When I'm in a bad mood, I still got to have joy. Oh, I didn't read that right. When my spouse is in a bad mood, I still have to have joy. I have to have joy all the time. Why is James telling us to count it pure joy whenever we face trials? Because joy gives you strength to fight your trials. And if you fight your trials, you'll win.
Anybody ever had a trial? Okay, half of you. The other half of you, we want to have a conference with you. And we want to know your secret. You've all had trials. We've all had trials, and we've all won trials. You're a winner. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a winner. Yeah. Hey, I'm a winner. You fight the trials, you overcome. James continues in James 1, 4 and says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James has in mind victory over trials, not the acceptance of a trial. We are not accepting the trial. We are not accepting defeat. We are not accepting the circumstances that this is the way it's going to be and this is how I'm always going to have to approach it and this is how I'm going to have to accept it. No, James says we're going to have victory over this because I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to get some happiness in me. I'm going to get some joy in me because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Let's all stand. Habakkuk chapter number 3 verse 17 says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the field produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Sounds like this guy's got some problemos. Doesn't it? Sound like he is in trouble. He doesn't have any figs. He doesn't have any grapes. He doesn't have any olives. And then there's no sheep. There's no cattle. There's nothing. He says this, yet, 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 yet. Look at your neighbor and say, yet, 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 yet. Yet, 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 yet. What does the fox say? Yet, 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 yet. Yet, 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 yet. Notice he's not going to surrender to his problems. He's not going to do anything uh, about his. He's going to do something about his problems. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. He said, I don't have any olives. I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. I don't have any figs. I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. The devil don't want you to rejoice. The devil doesn't want you to rejoice because if you rejoice, you get strength. He's going to rejoice because verse 19, the next verse, you need to go back and read Habakkuk chapter 3. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You know what the heights are? The heights are above all the nastiness. The heights are good. You get a clear view of everything. I shared this Wednesday night. The last time I was in Bulgaria was in October, November of 1997. And it was a very cold fall there. And they actually had snow on the ground. And for nine days, I did not take off my overcoat. Yeah, I took a shower and put my overcoat back on. That's how cold it was. But we were with Bishop Belinkoff. We were in Sofia, the capital city. And then we just uh, we were going to go do a church service up in Loam, which is up by Romania, right on the Danube River. And when we left there, we had to go up through the mountains to go to Loam. And I didn't realize it until we were up on the mountains overlooking Sofia. The air was clear. There was no burning pollution that was in Sofia because the cold air had held all of the smog in the city. But when I went up to the heights, I could see above the smog. 
when I went up to the heights, the, the pollution didn't bother me anymore because the air is much clearer there. Who am I talking to today? You're stuck down here in the city and you're stuck down here in the struggle of the, of the valley and you're stuck down here and the smog is burning your eyes and, you're, and you can't hardly breathe because the air is so thick and it's so dense and, and all of this stuff. And, and Habakkuk says this, I will rejoice in the Lord because he's going to make my feet like the feet of deer that will enable me to go to the heights to where the air is clearer to where the air is pure to where the vision is made manifested and i can see really what's going on i'm telling you my brothers and sisters get some joy in your life today and let god do something in your life habakkuk had no intention of staying defeated he may have looked defeated but he's not going to stay defeated the difference between the person who is defeated and the person who is victorious is attitude now, where are you, you moms and dads that have looked at your kids and said, I'm fixing. I don't know if you said fixing, but I did. I'm fixing to give you an attitude adjustment. Now, my mom never did say that. She just reached around the back seat and slapped me. I grew up with parents that came from 1928 and 1932. That generation hammered you. Because they got hammered. And they're just following the lineage. But you know how it is. And you've told your kids, if you don't straighten up your attitude, I'm going to nail you. Or if you, if you don't straighten up your attitude, I'm going to set you in time out. Whatever it is, you've got to get your attitude right. You get it right, bro. I don't know if you call him bro or not. You get it right. I'm going to take you out. Is God saying that to us today? Some of you got to get an attitude adjustment. God might have been working on you already. Some of you I know have thought that I rode in the car with you today. I did not. I did not bug your car. I have not been sitting with you at your kitchen table listening to you fight with your spouse. I have not been doing any of that. I don't have your houses bugged. It's way too busy for me to do that. Okay? I'm just telling you what the Lord told me. We've got to get our attitudes adjusted that, you know what, when the pastor says, well, I really think that we should do this, and that makes you mad, I don't need you to pout. God doesn't need you to pout. You need to say, okay, let's go and get some joy. Because when you get some joy, you get some strength. And when you get some strength, you can fight. And when you can fight, you can win. And when you can win, then you're happy. And when you can win, you're victorious. And when you win, you overcome. And to him that overcomes, he said, I'll grant to set with me in my father's throne. Did not he say that? And when you overcome, you whip the devil. And what you want to do is you want to whip the devil, don't you? You want to have victory in your life. You want your kids to be successful. You want your marriage to be successful. You want your life to be successful. Hallelujah. Get your attitude right. Help us, Lord. An attitude of gratitude will put you over in life. This is the kind of attitude that the prophet had. Even though nothing was good, nothing good was happening in his life, no fruit, no crops, no sheep, no cattle, yet he rejoiced. Now, in our modern world, it would sound something like this. Though there's no food in the refrigerator and there's no money in the account, though the sickness gets worse and the pain persists, though my children are on drugs and my spouse does not appreciate me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. There it is. 
So regardless of the circumstances, you and I can rejoice.